I have Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Generally, Austria Bonifacio joins me now. She has just published her debut novel, Reuniting with Strangers. It's an engaging book that follows the reunification of Filipino families in Canada. The book is a series of stories that link together surrounding a mysterious child, Monolith, who appears and disappears in the lives of the characters in each story. The book is uh, particular in not uh, telling the stories of Filipino caregivers and immigrants from the lens of Canadian employers. These are uh, stories of people who are separated by distance, physically or psychologically, with, say, a parent leaving uh, the Philippines to make uh, a living in a place like Canada and their child or children coming to Canada later on. These are often complicated reunions, and the stories that Miss Austria Bonifacio bring to life reveal the complexities surrounding forced immigration, colonial mentality, labor export culture, misogyny, and emotional abuse in the diaspora. Generally also illuminates the isolation of a lot of places that Filipinos find themselves in with uh, the places themselves, like uh, Sarnia's Chemical Valley, Osuyus, as well as Toronto's Little Manila and places in Manitoba and Nunavut. It's refreshing to see the spread of Filipinos and not just in the main cities in the country. Generally, Austria Bonifacio founded Filipino Talks and holds a Master's in Immigration and Settlement Studies, as well as a postgraduate certificate from the Humber School for Writers. She has also completed a writing residency at the Banff Center. She's a Toronto-based community worker, youth mentor, and Little Manila tour guide. She will also appear in the forthcoming Magdaragat, an anthology of Filipino-Canadian writing. Visit generallyaustriabonifacio.com for more. This new book is published by Douglas and McIntyre. There is an event this Thursday, the 12th of October, at the Massey Arts Centre, 23 East Pender Street. That's at 6 p.m. with generally and other guests. We uh, taped this interview nearly one month ago. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, generally Austria Bonifacio. Miss Austria Bonifacio, good morning. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, generally, what is uh, Filipino Talks? So Filipino Talks is something that started because my first job at a university was as a school settlement worker, which is like a newcomer counselor. Mm -hmm. So they would put me in these schools with high populations of newcomers. And with the Filipino students particularly, they were having a lot of problems. They were very, very disengaged. They weren't really making the marks academically. They weren't involved in the school at all. And something, when I was working with the students, something that really struck me was sometimes the problem is not the youth. Sometimes the problem is the fact that the educators don't know how to support them. Mm. And so I thought, okay, let me take a step back from what I'm doing in these schools, and let's do this on a bigger scale. So then I became a school board consultant, and now my mission is to teach teachers how to teach Filipino students better. So I go into these schools, and I survey all the students before I even start anything, because it doesn't make sense, right? If I don't know what's going on with the students. Like, it doesn't make sense to come in as a consultant, right? right? So I asked the students, you know, how many years were you separated from your mom, from your dad? How happy are you in Canada? What can your school do better for you? What is your job situation like? What do you want to do in the future? Do you know a Filipino in that job? All those different kind of things. And then I present all of that information back to the students, 
and back to the teachers. And that is what really Filipino talks is. I'm just trying to build a bridge, right? Because sometimes teachers think that the Filipino kids are super happy. They're like, oh, they're adjusted. They're, mm-hmm. they're fine. They're cheerful. But the thing is that if you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, how are you able to teach them? And so I really try to give teachers like a kit, honestly. Here are the guest speakers you should book. Here are the books you should buy. Here are the strategies you can try to reach their parents. All of the different ways that they can reach our community. Yeah, and it's through that role that you heard a lot of stories, and and um, some of those, I guess, inspired some of the stories that are in reuniting with strangers. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, these are stories that that you've obviously heard that a lot of us have heard. Um, not nearly enough, though. Um, as I was reading the book, I couldn't help but think that, that this will resonate, and, and not just with, with people like myself who have Filipino parents who live in Canada, but with, with readers generally, won't they? I hope so. I really hope so. I always envision this book as just like an extension of Filipino Talks, and Filipino Talks is for everybody to learn about our diaspora. So I hope that it reaches both Filipinos and non-Filipinos. Yeah. What well, What is it like for you, though, as the author, to, to have this task of, of telling these stories in a book like this? Um, do you find it a burden at all? No, not a burden. It's more of a giant challenge. So I think of this as just an extension of what I do as a consultant, right? And I'm hoping that, you know, Teachers will see that. They'll put it in their classrooms. Like if we're talking high school, if we're talking college, university, I'm hoping that this just opens up more venues for discussion. Because oftentimes, teachers especially, they don't know how many years the kids have been separated from their moms, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that is key information. Teachers often think it was one or two years. But now that I've surveyed over 1,200 kids, the answer is usually eight. And... That is a huge deal, right? If you're in grade nine, you've been separated from your mom for eight years? Like, that's so much of your life. That's your formative years. Of course, she's going to be a stranger to you, right? Of course, she's not going to be able to discipline you, and she doesn't understand you. She doesn't know what your dislikes and your likes are. And so that is really what drove a lot of me talking about family reunification. This is that way people understand how deep it goes, and not even just, that impacts, you know, mom and daughter or mom and son, yeah. but also that it impacts, like, everybody else. We're talking grandparents and the second generation and the cousins and, like, the godchildren. You know, it, it goes bigger than just that one small mom and child, right? Yeah, that, that that's the thing that I don't think we hear enough about, about these challenges when uh, young people come to Canada and are reunited with their parents. Um there, there is uh, in a number of characters, a couple of characters at least, in, in reuniting with strangers, where the um, desire to come here, to come to Canada, um, once here, it, 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 they long for what they had back home, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people won't understand that because they think that um, because so many people want to come to Canada, why would you want to go back? Um, exactly. The, yeah. the parents in the Sarnia story, for example, um, wanted to retire there, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the same case with with my dad. He 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 wanted to retire in the Philippines. Um, a lot of people didn't understand that. I guess, um, and that's something that you do talk about in the book. That this pull for whatever home is here or there, that's very mm-hmm. strong, isn't it? For sure. And then I was also in that Sarnia story. I was really adamant that there would be a character 
who just desperately wants to go back home. I see it happen a lot with my students, mm-hmm. and I was like, I have to represent this character in Manila. And as you know, Manila sounds like Manila, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like her pull is so strong. She wants to go back to Taguig. She wants to do the you know, Bonifacio Global City. You know, she wants to go to UP. She's, she's looking around in like Southampton, Ontario, in this town where I grew up, and she's just like, this is not it. This is not my story. This is not my future. And it was so important for me to have that voice in this collection. I'm not going to call Sarnia what um, the other people in the book call it because I've, I've never been there. And I'm not from there. But uh, what was it like for you to grow up there? So, honestly, it was awesome. Um, when I was growing up there, we had a really strong community. There were 200 Filipino families. Mm-hmm. And this is a place of 73,000 people. So that's a pretty big population, right? Mm-hmm. And we're super, super involved with each other and because we don't have extended family right you just take on this is my tita this is my tita my lola my lola you just take on everybody else as your extended family and so i grew up in a very good network and when i was around 13 14 we started to learn how to dance and sing and in tagalog and they were teaching us you know tinikling and singkil and tandango tigilaw and that was a great time because, you know, when you're, especially around that age, 13, 14, you're just starting to wonder about your identity. Perfect timing to get an introduction to the Filipino community that has definitely impacted everything that I did afterwards. And that, that's the thing. You, you talk about Sarnia, as you do in the, in the book, um, and you, you talk about other places in Canada that these mm-hmm, characters yeah. have ended up. And, and um, it is a Canadian book in that sense that, that you almost depict some of these places as almost lovingly, don't you? I do, I do. I really wanted to make sure that it's not just about Toronto. I, I am living in Toronto right now. There are so many Filipinos here, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if I'm not talking about, for instance, like Nunavut, yeah. like who is going to talk about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and in Nunavut alone, I went to school in university with a, a Filipino girl from Nunavut, and just her stories over the years just really stayed with me because I thought, oh, my gosh, you guys are eating lechon? <laughs> None of this is amazing. <laughs> They're getting yeah. it shipped from Ottawa. And and it was just this thing uh, that stayed in my mind of, can you imagine, like, going from the Philippines to the exact opposite, which would be, like, Iqaluit, right? Yeah. How is it possible that there is this diaspora there that's flourishing? And so it's really important for me to make sure that they also have a space at this table. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the central character in the book is this child named uh, Monolith. Um, how old is he? Monolith is five years old. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a nickname, is that right? No, that's his real name. Yeah, his real name is Monolith. He's, he's unlike most Filipino kids that get a nickname. Probably he would be like Muck Muck yeah. <laughs> or yeah. something like that. You know how Filipinos love to give nicknames that are super far away from <laughs> From the what it actually thing. is, yeah. Um, yeah. It, and he doesn't speak. And so the, it, it's a remarkable character in that um, um, and he, he, he's, he's a, a young a young person so um, but he, he doesn't speak beyond that people think that he's either dumb or, or um, um, just quiet I guess um, it, it's a remarkable character in that you see how other people and other characters in the book react to him um, 
the idea of, of using him throughout the book, because they're, they're very different stories in the book, um, and he he's, I guess, the thread throughout. Um, was that something that you, you thought about doing early on, that you wanted to, to have this one central character and part of everybody's life, if you will? Yeah, so the first chapter I wrote is the first one in the book mm-hmm. that introduces Monolith. The second chapter I wrote was the one that's uh, Seven Steps to Reuniting with Your Teenage Daughter, which is about a girl who is reuniting with her mom, and she's having a very hard time with it, but she writes a self-help guide. And in that chapter, I really wanted to figure out what was her impetus for wanting to start this self-help guide. And I loved the idea of her seeing Monolith just blowing up, having a tantrum, and that was her moment of saying, you know what, I can also blow up. I can also have this tantrum. Let's put it into words. That way my mom can read it and she can understand me. Because there's a little boy, he's having a tantrum. No one can understand him. Why can't I use my words and make my mom understand me? And so from that I thought, okay, this kid, he has to show up at moments of change. He has to show up right when things are about to move, right? And I wanted him to represent that because when I'm talking to Filipino talk students, these are high school kids, right? And they are always saying to me, like, Ate, Ate, like older sister, yeah. Ate, I feel like I don't have any power. Like, I wasn't even asked if I want to come to Canada. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with my mom. Nobody asked me anything. And now my mom's trying to, you know, force me to stay into nursing, and I don't want to be a nurse. I feel like I have zero, like, power over my future, and I have no voice. And so I really wanted Monolith to represent that feeling that a lot of my students have of being voiceless. And I wanted to be able to show them this is how much power you can have even when you don't think you have a voice. You can still make change. You can make things move. And as we, as we find out through, through the book, um, uh, he, he gains a voice, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and we do see um, how perceptive and how... Um, uh, just these experiences that he's he's managed to encounter uh, through his own journey. It, I mean, it's just a remarkable character um, to, to begin with and to end with as well in the book. Um, you, you tell the, uh, the stories in the book um, in different ways. You have different narrators. Um, some of it, uh, there's one story in the book that I found um, uh the uh, there were email exchanges, I guess, between between two yeah. people. Um, there, there's a, an instruction manual for caregivers that, that someone's written out, um, mm-hmm. which I found beautiful and, and, and powerful. It, it, telling this, this story as you do in this novel in these different uh, formats, these, these different ways, um, I, I'm trying to think if, if you told it in one way, it just wouldn't work, would it? I mean, you had to go to these different places, right? I hope so. And honestly, the whole inspiration behind that is the fact that I know in our community, in the Filipino community, there are not a lot of readers, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people think that literature is limited to, like, you know, El Silibusterismo or, like, Nolimitangere. And I wanted people to see that literature can be anything. And this is emails. These are text messages. These are instruction manuals. There are a lot of ways to tell a story that are not like nolimitangere, right? And I wanted them to see that it's possible to tell a story in ways that anyone can understand. But oftentimes I feel like, especially with the older generation of Filipinos, 
just books are not part of their lives, and it really bothers me because books are great, right? Yeah. <laughs> really good openings into different worlds, and I hope that this book can kind of show them a way to experience literature that maybe they had never thought of before. Other than Monolith, uh, uh, another thread throughout the book is this place, San Marco del Mudo. Mm-hmm. Is this a real place? No. So San Marco del Mudo is like, I imagine it outside of Pagaytay, up in the highlands. Um, we've got Mount Batilao there in the background. That's that's how I see it. There's all the Caping Baraco fields there underneath. So Batangas is where my ancestors are from. Um, my family is from Batangas City, uh-huh. and we spend a lot of time up in Sagaytay, right? Just like most Filipino tourists around that area. And I always I love the idea of mountains and cliffs, and I just find it so beautiful, right, to imagine. And so I needed to put it in Batangas, and I needed to put it up in, as high as I could on the ridge. Yeah, it's 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 a, a character itself because it comes up. Uh, throughout the book, because of, uh, a lot of the people are in the book are from there, and um, the way they talk about it, um, it's just beautiful imagery um, in terms of, of um, us imagining what that place might actually be like or what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to see it if, it, if there is something <laughs> similar. I would love to go there. Yeah. Um, the um, the, the uh, colonial preoccupations that um, a lot of Filipinos have to contend with. We, we see that in the book. I mean, uh, there are characters in the book who are obsessed with skin color, um, certain names, um, what kind of names a person has. I mean, th- th- that comes up in, in one of the stories in the book. Identity, um, gender or otherwise is also a- another thing that, that, that's, that, that's in the book. These are things that Filipinos um, here in Canada as well as elsewhere, th- these are things that... that um, they have to contend with, and, and still, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. And that was why, also, I wanted to make sure that one story about the caregiver's instruction manual was there, because sometimes, right, when you have been in Canada a long time, or you're born in Canada, you feel like you cannot be part of the Filipino community anymore. And that really bothers me, right? Because it's like, you, there are many ways to be Filipino. There's not one. And so I wanted to have a character that represents the fact that she's just trying to run away from it as far as possible. Because that's very true, right? Some people are just like that. And I love the idea of her bringing in this cousin and having to, you know, deal with now, like, really her identity is in her house. And how is she going to deal with that? I, I love the complication of that. Yeah, that's a, as I said earlier, just this is a powerful chapter in the book. Um, you, you see the, the strength of um, the central character in that story, um, how she has to really, um, you know, this is a relative of hers that she's working for. Um, she has to really find these boundaries and these separations, not, not to make them feel, un- uh, feel comfortable, but just to survive herself and to, to make it through the day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, generally, when you think of um, why people want to come to Canada, because you, you use the, that line in, in the book that, that's also the title of another book, A Good Provider is One Who Leaves. Um, a lot of people think that. 
And uh, I guess it's our privilege, having been born here in Canada, that we, um, I guess we expect both, that we expect one can stay and one can provide. But but for a lot of people, it has to be either or, right? Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, what, what um, I, I, I kept thinking as I finished the book that, um, I guess, uh, because people will want to leave the Philippines still and people will still want to come to Canada, um, what can we in Canada do better, say, to make that um, reunification process a little bit better? So the one thing that we absolutely need is culturally responsive mental health resources. Right. And I say this because so many teachers over my years of doing Filipino talks have asked, do you know a Tagalog-speaking therapist? How about a psychotherapist? How about a social worker? Even like a child and youth worker, and not even just Tagalog. Now we're looking at Ilocano, Bisaya, right? Uh-huh. Ilongo, Kapampangan. And the thing is, it's so hard to find. And if you do find that person, it's not affordable. And it's really, really hard. And oftentimes, in like the social work scene, people sometimes say, oh, well, Filipinos, they speak English, they'll be fine. But as you and I both know, there's a lot of unspoken cultural baggage that we bring that someone who is not Filipino will have a hard time learning. And I try as hard as I can in my sessions. I literally do three-hour Filipino talk sessions with educators. But I can't reach everybody. And the thing is that if there were more resources to meet these kids and these parents during that first transitional period when they first reunite and they're realizing, oh, my gosh, I have no idea who this person is, that would be the exact right time for the mental health resources to be part of their reunification journey. Yeah, I think that, that, that'll uh, uh, be curious to a lot of people why, you know, because there are a lot of Filipinos in, in caregiving, in, in health care, um, mm-hmm. why there aren't enough in mental health. Exactly. It is a great question. And so if you're listening to this, please be inspired to join this movement if you are so inclined yeah, and speak one of the Filipino languages and dialects. Yeah, oh. yeah indeed. Um, you, you touch on on this in, in a couple of stories, um, just what it's like in the Philippines in terms of, say, divorce not being permitted. Um, a lot of people are trapped in marriages that they want out of, and so um, that's also a reason why, why some people go. Um, uh, the the, the uh, lack of birth control, toxic masculinity itself. I mean, th- these are these are huge factors in in how families turn out there and here, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. What did you want to say about that in terms of of um, what you'd like to see or what what um, young people like would like to see in that regard in terms of changing how families interact with one another? Yeah, in the Philippines, it's so interesting, right? Because from the students that I've worked with, for instance, oftentimes their fathers are not in the picture at all. And it's been a long time. It's not their whole life. And it's just 17% of them, right? I've, I've gone and surveyed 1,200 kids. 17% of them said they have no relationship with their father at all. And it just breaks you because... When you work with boys, especially, you can see the impact of it later on in life when they're in, like, 16, 17, 18, and they don't have a positive male role model in their life. It is of marked difference 
compared to what you see when they do. And I wish it would change. I wish things could be different. I wish we didn't have labor export policy. I wish that we didn't have to be the whole good provider, the one who leaves mm-hmm. things. I don't think it'll change. But one thing that I do see changing right now, and this is reflected in the novel at the very end, um, Maybe I shouldn't talk about it, actually, if it'll be a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, well, the, let's, um, let, uh, if I might, just to talk about the end of the book, because there is a lot in the book that is that is um, frightening to read and, and um, might uh, upset people. But I couldn't help but think as I finished the book how hopeful I felt after reading it. I, I don't know if that's what a lot of readers will tell you, but, but I, I certainly felt that... that um, uh, these people, these young people, especially that come here, um, there's a great possibility there, and and perhaps the experience of that they've gone through might um, perhaps encourage them to do something better, maybe. Absolutely, and now that I have finished that chapter, and I see people reacting to it in very positive ways, I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness. Because I didn't want to end it on a sad note. I didn't want to end it in a way that made you feel desolate. It, it has to be hopeful. Filipinos are so hopeful, right? If we weren't, we wouldn't be all over the world making like this huge diaspora. Um, if it's not driven by hope, it's not driven by anything, right? And it was really important for me to show that at the end of this novel. Yeah. Um, as I said a moment ago, a lot of these stories are, are tough to read. Um, but but these are experiences that obviously people have experienced, have gone through. Um, what was it like to write? I mean, it, 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 uh, writing is a lot of work, as I've talked to writers over the years. But but uh, did you find that that you enjoyed parts of it? Say, absolutely. I think the hardest chapter for me to write was the Sarnia one. Mm. It was too close to me. Um, the e- absolute easiest one to write was the caregiver's instruction manual. That came out in less than a week. Really? And, yeah, it just shot out of me. It was actually inspired by my agents. Um, it wasn't part of the original collection um, because they, fin- they finished the book, and then they said, you know what we feel like? We haven't talked about the employers. Mm-hmm. And initially, I was very resistant to talking about employers when I first started the book because I said, we've talked about employers in the caregiver experience before, and... I, I, I feel like we, I have nothing else to add to this. Um, but then I realized, you know, we don't have to talk about, like, the white Canadian employer. We don't have to do that. There are so many Filipino caregivers that are hired by their own family, and what an incredible dynamic that is. Yeah. So I thought, okay, we're not going to talk about the white employer. We've seen that already in Canadian literature. Let's talk about when, it's hi- when you're hired by your own. Yeah. And then the, the, that itself, I found just fascinating, to um, because it's easy to to sympathize with one character over another in that story. Um, you realize just how damaged um, the, the some of the people are in that story, and and um, uh, as I said, it's a beautiful uh, a part of the book in terms of of the different things that you you manage to evoke there yeah i really wanted to humanize it when you are a second generation i feel like it's so people really judge you hard right like how filipino are you and for some people there's a lot of trauma associated with it and they just completely shut themselves off from our culture completely and that is so sad to me 
So I really, and the thing is that it's not their fault. A lot of microaggressions have happened throughout their lives to make them feel this way. Is it their fault? No. Can they change? Yes. And I, that was part of what I wanted to show there, yeah. And that's the thing I love about the book is that there, there are so many characters in here um, that are complicated. And why shouldn't these characters be complicated? You know what I mean? I, I, I just found that just that's why I enjoyed reading the book is that yeah, these are people that you think about that some of them you like some of them you don't like and uh, then you think about the ones you don't like and, and wonder why and you realize you don't really hate them that much because something there's something there that's uh, perhaps redemptive or, or no you do realize that the, you know that they went through a lot and that's why they are the way they are but I guess that's life itself Absolutely. isn't it right it is. You look at people and you are a mirror, right, for other people when they look at you. And so when they see you, they're looking really at the way that they see themselves through you, right? So when you don't like someone, there's something about them that you don't like about yourself, right? Yeah. And I think that really shows in this book as well. When you talk about this whole prism of characters, I needed to show this big spectrum across our diaspora, not even just the Philippines, but also in Canada. And I hope that People react that way as well. I hope that there are some characters that make them think, well, I don't know why, I don't like this person. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's something that I've been like taught to believe or not to believe. <laughs> yeah, you, you said earlier that um, you hope that, that more people will obviously pick up uh, books and read. Um, when you're writing a book like Reuniting with Strangers, are you thinking about how it'll be? Received. I mean, you probably um, have a, a sort of daydream in, in terms of um, what you'd like the book to become. I mean, is, is there an idea in your mind as to who might benefit from reading the book? Absolutely. So the actual original title, when this book was um, up for the Jim Wong Chu Emerging Authors Award, mm -hmm. this book used to be called, um, what is it? Oh, this, this book used to be called Reunification Stories for Caregivers and the Ones Who Love Them, which is quite long. Mm -hmm. um, but I was just trying to really make myself, like, really focus on who I wanted this to be for. So it was part of my original title, For Caregivers and the Ones Who Love Them. And that means it's for Filipinos. That means it's for non-Filipinos. That means it's for the people who are growing up Filipino or the ones who are not, and they are growing up with caregivers, right? I wanted it to make sure that we hit this particular population, and that was the original title because of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, um, it, I, I couldn't help but but remember a lot of these characters after uh, after finishing it. Now, it's been a couple of days since I finished the book. Um, are, are there characters that you still think about? Oh, absolutely, of course, Monolith. He's yeah. he's because he's a real person, right? Yeah. Um, and I've never met him in real life. Um, I I can tell you the story if you want um, yeah. about Monolith. So when I was working as a school settlement worker in Toronto, I went to a school where a teacher said to me, oh, it's too bad that you're here now because we really needed you last month, but this family has already moved away. And I said to her, okay, well, tell me what was up with that family. And she said, well, there was this five-year-old boy, and he reunited with his mom, who was a caregiver, Filipino, and he was just so violent. He was nonverbal, and at nighttime, he would get so violent that 
she would call people over to help straightjacket him, yeah. to calm him down. And I said to this teacher, like, this is terrible, you know, but then, like, well, just put the straightjacketing aside, yeah. okay? Yeah. Why is this boy so angry? And I thought about it for years. Like, is it, of course, like, nobody understands him because he's nonverbal, but then also, is he angry that he's in Canada? Was he even prepared to come to Canada? Did he know his mom? Did she ever visit him? Is she a complete stranger? Who raised him? Does he miss that person? What was his father like? Was he abusive? I was always thinking, why is this boy so angry? And that is really what drove this book, because this is a real boy. And if I ever meet him, I'm going to hug him. But in the meantime, I hope that this shows people in our diaspora, like, What's really going on, right? What are all the reasons why we can be angry? I feel like oftentimes people associate the Filipino community with resilience. Oh, they're sure. so resilient. They're so lovely. Yeah. But the thing is, does being resilient mean that we also can't be angry? Does that also mean that we can't show our emotions on our sleeves? And let's explore that in this book. I hope he's a doctor. I hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he became a mental health specialist. Indeed, indeed. And he speaks Tagalog, and something wonderful happened to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I know you're, you're busy promoting this book now, but um, are, you, are you working on something else? I, yes. So for the last couple of years, this book grew up beside another book, and I basically, if, if I needed to procrastinate from one, I would hop to this one and back and forth. So the other book that I've been working on is YA. I've always thought of myself foremost as a YA author. That's where I started out, honestly. Uh-huh. And so that's why so many of the chapters in this book are from Young Voices. And so the book that I'm working on is, you know how a lot of youth nowadays, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they say an influencer? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and it's a little bit worrisome, but yeah. anyway... You also, you also know how back in the Philippines, there are a number of travel vloggers who are vlogging about going to the Philippines, and they themselves are not Filipino, right? right? Yeah. They're usually Australian or American. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, let's take the reverse of that. Let's take a newcomer Filipino boy. He's now here in Canada. He's living in Toronto. He wants to vlog about his amazing Canadian life, and he wants to be an influencer, but He's living in the basement of his mother's employer's house. How is he going to make content? And so I thought, okay, this kid is going to have to search pretty hard because he's living in the basement. It's not a great vlogging place. So he starts breaking into the house upstairs to try to get content. And he starts to make up all these fantastical things about his amazing Canadian life. Mm-hmm. And what are the repercussions of this? What are the repercussions of that? And also, when he gets caught, what happens? And it's inspired by this one thing where um, I was working in this school once where there was this newcomer Filipino boy, and he said to me, Ate, I feel so weird about my science class. And I said, okay, well, what's happening there? And he says, well, there's this girl in my science class, and she's the girl that my mom took care of instead of me. And now we're lab partners. And I thought, whoa, that's a lot to unpack, right? This yeah. is technically your employer's daughter in your class. You're the same age. This is the girl who had your mom instead of you for years. And now you have to pretend that you're just normal batchmates. Like, 
normal classmates in a science lab, oh my gosh. So that is the other part of this influencer story. How do we deal with that when we're two worlds are colliding, same school, how are they going to interact? And is it going to mean that they collab on this influencer thing and the travel vlogging? Or is she going to try to take him down? So. That oh, that sounds that sounds great! I can't wait for for that, and I I've become a fan, and um, I, I love this book. Um, I, I so appreciate your time today. Congratulations on the book, and continued good luck with it. Thanks, thanks for this. Well, thank you so much for having me on this. This is great. The event is this Thursday, the twelfth of October, here in Vancouver at the Massey Art Center, twenty three East Pender. Uh, that starts at six p.m. with generally and other guests. The book is called Reuniting with Strangers. It's uh, published by Douglas and McIntyre. Also visit generallyaustriabonifacio.com for more. Uh, Generally Austria Bonifacio, join me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.